0: I'm Chef Pete Gagan from Cargill, and we're in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats. It's a podcast where we'll be serving up insights and perspectives for chefs and food service professionals. And of course, we'll be digging into the world of premium beef, because even with over 30 years of culinary experience, I still have an appetite for learning more. I hope you're hungry too. We're coming to you from the Cargill Innovation Center in Wichita, Kansas. And today, we welcome Tim Niver, owner of Mucci's Italian and St. Dinette Restaurants, both in St. Paul, Minnesota, to talk about restaurant leadership and expanding your business portfolio. To give you a glimpse into his background, Tim grew up in Buffalo, New York, and got his start in the hospitality industry at the age of 15 working at McDonald's. He graduated from Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and since that time, he's enjoyed stints at Parasoli Restaurant Group in Minneapolis, Smith & Walensky in New York, and the Bellagio in Las Vegas later returning to Minneapolis to serve as the general manager of Marcus Samuelson's popular restaurant, Aquavit. In 2006, Tim began opening his very own restaurants, including the Town Talk Diner and the Strip Club Meat and Fish, before opening St. Dinette in 2015 and Mucci's Italian in 2016. In addition to running those operations, he also owns his own frozen food company, Mucci's Frozen Foods, as well as doing his very own podcast called Niver Niverland. So he's a foodie and a talker, just like me. Welcome into the kitchen, Tim. Pleasure is mine, Chef. Thank you so much. I gave a little bit of a background, you know, your bio there, but love for you to let us know a little bit more about yourself.
1: Well, sure. You know, I'm a Western New York kid, uh Buffalo Bills fan, some of those basics that go along with being <laughs> from that part of the world. But you know, and I you, grew up in And uh, you like snow, I guess. I love snow. <laughs> I do ski and it's always been a Part of the winter weather has always been a part of my life, the elements, sure. you know. So having moved uh, to the New York City and to Las Vegas gave me uh, uh, a real good tour of things. And I landed here with my uh, wife in the mid-90s, and uh, we've been in Minneapolis ever since. You know, just taking that entrepreneurial spirit with me everywhere I go now. Sure. Thinking about your um,
0: resume, I mean, it seems like you're getting pretty good at opening restaurants, huh?
1: Yeah, hopefully I'm done opening restaurants and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just sure. uh, think I've found my groove and okay. you know since things have changed since covid, you know we all had time to assess and kind of figure out perhaps what the path uh, clarity is for ourselves. So sure. I'm feeling good about you know even just kind of having a couple restaurants going. I'm thankful and grateful and and that's enough for me right now. <laughs> I understand.
0: So you've got one restaurant on one street, you know, another part of town, you have another restaurant, you've got a frozen food business. What's it like juggling all that?
1: Honestly, I'm as happy as i ever been. Um, awesome. You know, the challenges of what's gone on again in the last couple of years, arriving here now, I feel, you know, happier about what I'm doing. So being able to kind of access, you know, that joy again and apply it in work makes all of this stuff a lot easier. The food that I'm making for frozen food, they're basically family recipes. So Mm -hmm. I've done this all my life. It's very natural, and it's basically a calm experience until you have to figure out the distribution processes and pars and all those things. But that's me literally still cooking for you and your family, and that's how I take it. It's important to me. Excellent. And then the restaurants, they happen to be you know, a couple of miles apart in St. Paul. So in the summer, I get to hop on my— My moped and drive between them. I'm here one day. I'm there the next. And, you know, it really keeps things fresh for me. Each of Mm -hmm. the places is my office of some sort. So I can settle in anywhere and feel really comfortable in the city. It's nice to be in downtown a little bit. And then at St. Dinette by the... Mm -hmm. uh, St. Stadium there in Lower Town. And it's also nice to be over in a more kind of neighborhood situation at Moochie's where we have a patio and, you know, we meet out there. So the life of, of, I mean, there's still a little romance left, but the hustle's always got to be there too, as you know. So Mm -hmm. it's a good mix of things, man. Thanks for asking. Well, that's
0: nice to hear. I guess what you're getting at is just being happy and loving what you do just makes it rather simple, even though it's not. There's things that happen every day and in the business that you have to deal with. But when you're happy, it's not that hard.
1: Yeah, it's a hard place to get to, you know, making a sure. decision to be happy, you know, while, mm-hmm. you have, while you're while you doing something that's harder than it's ever been and basically is derived from passion. Sure. You know, you, the, the business part of it is more difficult, just cost of everything. But yeah. like I say, you know, if you accept that as a challenge and make it work, I think that's the only way to go. A lot of people left the industry, too, and because it got more difficult or they realized they weren't getting out of it what they needed. And sure. those are sound decisions that I applaud. Finding your way is absolutely that. I've, I figure I have a couple careers within my big career. Mm-hmm. I'm on my third one, kind of, you know, with the frozen <laughs> foods, you know, moving, sure. moving into a, a new venture. It's very exciting.
0: Sounds like you love to learn, which is another driver, you know? Yes. Because uh, if every day goes by and, and nothing new's coming to you and you're not experiencing and building upon your knowledge, life can get pretty boring and sometimes dissatisfying, <laughs> which yes, chef. it doesn't put you into the space that you're
1: at right now, which makes you happy, Right. Yeah, you know, again, I have decided that this is what I wanted to do, and it's okay, you know, and just like somebody not deciding not to, I have full respect for that. So however you—I made this choice for this living, and I'm in it, and I'm really glad I am. There was a couple years where I didn't want to be, but (laughs) I'm glad I am again. Well, that passion was still there somewhere. It was just—there were things
0: that were trying to knock it down, but, you you know, you came through it. So with that, I'd like to talk about— Leadership and your leadership style and there's been a lot of speed bumps in this industry lately and you know, how are you? Dealing with that. How are you overcoming that because it seems like you're navigating it rather
1: well? Sure Well, you know not to sound cliche but leadership by example is really where I've stayed the my entire career uh, I still serve I still clean the bathrooms I still power wash the patio, being present and showing my passion for it and what my work ethic is, is really been kind of the mainstay of things. A lot of owners are disconnected, say, from the day-to-day, sure. and uh, I'm the opposite way. And not that I have to be there all the time, but, the, <laughs> you know, the kind of essence. And so I empower the folks that I work with to be themselves, I let them be them, and then I give them a clear standard and expectation upon which to apply themselves. There you go. And so they're comfortable with themselves, and they apply, you know, the standard and the expectations, which are clear. And then everybody kind of goes on the same path. And most of the people I work with have been there for numerous years and there's a reason, you know. It's a small business. We don't have every benefit in the world. We don't. We're not able to offer that. We're still in somewhat of a austerity budget and kind of a warbly time. Mm-hmm. But our people stay with us because they're respected. They can be who they are. They know that we want to see them advance if that's what they want. Some people just want to come in and work. You know, sure. they just want to come in, punch the clock, and go home. And this is a, a supplement to the other part of their life, which is really what's driving what they're doing. So, you know, leadership is kind of based on me looking at the, like giving a clear path, but it's based on the individual and what they bring to the table and them allowing them, me allowing them to be themselves. And then it kind of lifts us all up because there's no stress on a script. There's no stress on trying to do something that's not natural. And so I think when you come to my places, you know, I've heard people say before, that's a Niver restaurant. No, that's one of the best compliments I've ever received in my life, Chef. Because it feels the way when you come in and that we all care. And there's a little honesty there. There's a little New York swagger there, too. Because mm-hmm. we're not going to let, you know, like we don't get rolled over or anything like that. But the essence of hospitality is kind of having it, in our places, is having it be natural. And if that's yeah. us busting your chops, then maybe we'll bust your chops a little bit. Yeah, and that's all right. Yeah, it's fun. Adds to the... Mm-hmm.
0: The verve, <laughs> you know, being from New York myself, I do miss that sometimes. I think uh, people can try to be a little too nice, and it's not in a bad way that you're busting chops, right? You know, but no, it's, it's having fun, and it's not at the expense of your customer or even your employees, it's
1: having fun together. It's not really at the expense of the guest, but I think also, I also do involve the guests in my humor mm-hmm. and you're kind of finding your way with them every time. So if I see that somebody is joking or making fun of one of the people at their table, I might just tag on with them and uh-huh. kind of continue the humor and press <laughs> on that person a little bit. So sometimes it is at the expense of the guests, but that is involving them in the involving trying to like find my segue into the experience with them and becoming part of it. So, Maybe there's a little bit at the expense of the, the the guests there, but in the right way, you know, with the, with the right meaning behind it and, or sure. the right sarcasm. There's, uh, a, there's a line, but it's really fun to kind of walk that line. I think what you're saying is that they're not a transaction. That's right. It's not a transaction. I
0: mean, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, uh, being that person sitting at the table has to realize, right? There's more to... This restaurant, that's why it's a Niva restaurant, right? Because there is a genuine, like, we love having you here. We enjoy feeding you, making you happy, bringing you into our world every
1: day. Yes. Which is not something you can in a lot of restaurants. It's Because it's not replicable. It is something that is innately there with a culture. And it's builds and then... And it's a feeling we have numerous people that eat, at, say, moochies, and they say, God, I'd love to work here. You all get along so well. That's cool. And, and we do. That's really cool. You know, it's not correct to really say we're family anymore, because that, while that's an inclusive term, people that we work with don't, you don't have to feel like family. That's a little too personal, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not about necessarily feeling like family. It does to me. It's just about feeling like you have a place. Sure. Whether you're the same or different. And they have a place there. They all do. So,
0: You being the leader and leading by example, that helps set up that culture. But your hiring practices and things like that, too, are a big part of that. Is there any more you can like suggest to those that are out there that are maybe opening up a restaurant or, or maybe struggling with that on ways to breed that good, inclusive culture that gets great results
1: and makes your customers happy too. Well, it sounds silly, but a a resume is ridiculous to me Mm -hmm. because I'm going to ask you where you've worked and you're going to tell me, all right? I mean, it's an outline or whatever, but I hire a person. So for example, this one person walked in one day, knocked on the back door, walked into the restaurant and she just kind of had this little whirling dervish about her. And there was this breeze that came in the door with her that was so fresh. And she's just like, hey, guys, I'm just stopping in to see if you want to work with me. And we just started laughing. This person's a stranger off the street. And so we just started talking with this person. We didn't know that she had experience or not. Mm-hmm. But you could kind of just sense that they were part of it, right? Yep. So a resume does matter. Sometimes there's technical aspects to work that you need to know, and it does matter, but you hire a person. So if I can look somebody in the eye and they're looking me back in the eye, or if I see a desire to learn something about that person, a drive for money is not the worst thing. You know, like people need money. Mm-hmm. Uh, survival is a motivator. So on whatever that level that somebody walks in the door, you're hiring the person, not the piece of paper. And trust is built. You have to offer some right off the bat. Of course. So we offer some trust up and just say, hey, you know, like in that clear expectation and in that standard that we offer, we offer up a little trust early just to make sure that that person, you know, senses the place. And then we tend to make sure that people work with everybody in every position. Okay. Just if they're going to do every position or not, just so they can kind of sense— everybody else's responsibility and sense of responsibility. So we really integrate very quickly into that culture piece, but you have to hire a person. Correct? First. Yeah. It's got you hire that person. So we're pretty good at reading them and understanding who we vibe with and what people move like. That, you know, there's physical attributes to this job that are necessary. Somebody who's got grace or, you know, and not everybody needs to have it, but you know, th- these are things that you pick up from Sensing a person versus looking at a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we focus on. Because you can, if you're confident in your trade and confident in your skills, then you can pass those. This is not rocket science, okay? Nobody dies here in the restaurant, hopefully. So you can (laughs) pass on your skills to them in the way that you want to. Maybe there's no bad habits or whatever. But the right attitude is the cure-all to not knowing what you're doing. Sure. Behaviors, right? Yes. That's huge.
0: I mean, even in the corporate world that I live in, that's, of course, you still look at resumes and all, but there's a million job applicants. But at the end of the day, it's talking about behaviors and reading people's behaviors, because if they're willing to learn, you can teach them. I do like what you said about (laughs) having grace and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think about my son. He's got two left feet and uh, knocks things over (laughs) left and right. You don't want him walking around carrying food in your restaurant. So it's rather important to have a little bit of that look. And it's not so much that you're going off of looks, but
1: it's that you're going to work in my restaurant. (laughs) So I'd say, hey, to your son, I said, hey, hey, Kit, you're doing a good job, you know? What I see is that you need a little practice with how you're moving around the room. Mm -hmm. I'm going to grab a tray. I'm going to give you a tray. And we're going to walk this room, and we're going to add a glass every time we walk around the room. All right? And by the time we get four glasses on the tray, you and I are going to be giggling because you already got it. And if you don't get it and you drop something on the floor— Then you get to practice cleaning it up. There you go. Not a big deal. No, you're right. So, you know, it's just kind of like, for me, especially with the younger folks, you know, it's like, okay, you know, if they see me doing it with them, I'm like, all right, you know, I love it. I love it. You know, add that next glass. I put it on there for them. It's, you know, small steps. It's all good. No matter where you come uh, to us from, it can work for us. Having the staff see you do
0: the work too, right, as the owner, the leader is so big. There's so many people out there, like you said, they're removed from the restaurant and then like never there and it's hard to work for someone who's not that you don't see put the work in and I think I learned that long, long time ago, just working, hearing people complain about the managers not doing anything. they may be really busy and and doing a lot of other things, but people learn and and they They understand that, you know, if the boss is willing to come in and do the dishes, then I better not complain about doing the dishes. I mean, you can tell someone what to do, but you're actually showing them and walking them through it and giving them, I guess, alternatives. If one thing doesn't work out, you got other, you know, there's different
1: ways that we can all uh, add to the team. You know, Chef, the other thing I think that's really important that— And in the moment, when you're working with somebody, you know, and it's always, it's kind of a crazy scenario, right? The day is always moving. And when you're in the restaurant world, things are always happening. you know, the ticket's coming up, the phone's ringing. I mean, there's a million variables that are touching the senses, right? But Mm -hmm. we also uh, employ a certain amount of directness that if we make a mistake or we see something we didn't like in service, we address it immediately so that it won't repeat itself again. So those are some tender moments where you have to kind of get in the middle of service while all these variables are going on. Tell somebody something that may be like, I'd like you not to do this again, please. Thank you so much. And then move on and get right back to it. Mm -hmm. But we make a point to address it in the moment because it becomes habit just to take care of things then. You don't let drama hang out. You use your manners if it's a if it's a direct statement, and that really is just like, chef, please, okay, I would appreciate it if we could x this, but 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 thank you so much. You know, let's not do it this way. Thank you so much, and then you move on. But if you don't address it, it can keep happening, and so that directness with gentle directness
0: is really sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, you get more with uh, right sugar than you do with what I forgot what the saying was. You know, but vinegar, yeah, something like that. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, back to the culture piece We talk like individual But then you still And you say you know Maybe you don't call it a family Because that becomes really personal But it's still a team We all have to help each other Work together Whether you work in one table or You work in the whole restaurant What's your philosophy there?
1: Well, you know The person The employee Kind of shows us what they want You know In a lot of ways You know We let them demonstrate And work Towards their next goal within the team, but really, what I'd say is, is that yeah, we have servers, and then we have you know server assistants, and there's different you know specific jobs that they all have. But everybody does the same job. If the phone rings, we're all looking for it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like I say at the beginning of the shift, someone, one of us is cleaning the bathrooms. We all end up having to do the same job, so that okay. we don't feel separated by position. You know, the server has a special job that the server assistant could probably do, but that server just is really like a sparkling example of what a hospitalitarian could be. And that server assistant's picking stuff up from this server all the time. Mm -hmm. But they have to work in tandem and they have to anticipate each other's moves. So having everybody do every job, clearing tables, whatever it is, there's no separation really. For in what they do, other than one talks to the guests just a little bit more, and so we try to keep those jobs as equal as possible because they are really equal. You can't have one without the other. Sure. And we try to make them understand that the restaurant's the body, one of them's the left hand, and one of them's the right hand, and so they work in tandem. And the restaurant's the body, and so mm-hmm. that's kind of how you have to do it. You know, you may be left-handed, or you might be right-handed. And sometimes you have to lean on the dominant, but that doesn't mean that the left hand isn't there supporting the other side. And it's just as heavy. So, you know, that's kind of the philosophy that we use. And and when you don't separate positions by responsibilities so much as, you know, some places have to. Um, sure. doesn't become a tier of employee. Mm-hmm. Everybody's mm-hmm. on the same tier. If there is a tier, it's one tier. Yeah. So. It just builds that confidence and trust with each other. And, I, you know, there's winks and nods as we say, like, I can walk away from a table and clear it. And I I can just look at my server assistant, and they're either already grabbing the silverware to reset it for you. Or they're saying to me, as I walk by, I got the reset on 12. Mm-hmm. And that's because we got each other's backs and because we're so used to helping each other out because there was never a separation. We get to work together. That's great. I love the way you put it, the body and no hierarchy there. There's
0: no need for that. That's a great culture and philosophy and I can understand why I'm sure lots of people like working in your restaurants. It's a good time. Thank you. I don't see you. that in many places. Uh, you don't want to go out. I mean they're there, don't get me wrong. Oh, but yeah. you know, not not every corner restaurant can have that. And it's nice to know that it's still out there though, some places.
1: You know, Moochies doesn't have a sign, Chef. We've been there for... Really? Seven years. And everybody's like, you know, we can't find it. We can't find it. We can't find it. You know, but they walk into a full restaurant. and I'm like, you found it. You <laughs> know, we didn't really have the money for a sign when we opened. Sure. And it became kind of a joke. Like, when are you going to get a sign? When are you going to get a sign? But really what happened is it's not like a, if you build it, they will come kind of scenario, but people found it. And when they come inside, they're so surprised at the life in there. Like it's a little black box and hmm. you walk in then it's like all of a sudden, you know, it feels like it has a place, like it's meant to be Mama's Kitchen in a way, you know, it's not kitschy, but it's just got a sense about it. So... uh it's in
0: a neighborhood. Is that right? Is like, it, yeah. is it an old house that you turned into the restaurant, or
1: did, was it's it literally a, an old brick building? It's rectangular in shape. It looks like something you'd see. When I saw it for the first time, I'm like, wow, it's pretty ugly. But it was evocative of, you know, like a building you'd see in the East Coast. It's like this little kind of corner store building. Nothing flashy. Nothing whatever. And it's tiny. It's 1,100 square feet. 44 seats. Yeah, it's in this little like old blue collar neighborhood of Saint Paul, where these families in these homes have been there for years and years and years. It's just, it's just kind of like workman like neighborhood, and mm-hmm. the building looks the same way. It was a bakery called Kinds, K-I-N-D apostrophe S, back okay. in the late nineteen twenties. And it, it, it survived as kinds until the mid-60s. And then the neighborhood kind of took it over and made it into multiple different uh, types of little restaurants. And then when we found the building, it was vacant for eight years and was musty and had really ugly curtains hung in it. And, <laughs> and uh, my business partner said, how are you even going to make this into a restaurant? But I did. Somebody called it a shoebox, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's like a shoebox. But it's so charming now. You know, we've, we renovated it. We didn't have a sign. We didn't have to say we were here kind of like, you know, people found out about us. And then, you know, that's what it's about. That's really cool.
0: I'd like to change the subject back to your businesses and your endeavors. You've got a lot going on. So you got two restaurants. You've had many over the years and a frozen food company, and you also have a podcast. You have other ideas, and you don't have to tell me, but it seems like, you know, you're a busy guy. There's a lot happening here.
1: What drove you to do that? This industry has always been challenging, right? It's always been reputably difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of always considered myself looking at lily pads in front of me kind of as opportunities and the dream used to be to have say five six seven eight ten restaurants but things had changed i got older too through like through all of these things that i've been doing (laughs) right i've arrived here now and i you know for me i really had to make a choice chef on what my legacy is going to kind of be and then also you know what my financial decisions are going to be for myself for the future what Angle allows me to reposition and say diversify, and find other avenues of revenue, because the main part of my the core, the passion core, say, isn't say always the easiest financial path to some sort of retirement, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So for me, you know, each of these, each of my businesses needs a little special attention, for, just like a like a human would. You know, like a like the restaurant also is an entity. Uh, Mm -hmm. It grows from day one and it turns into what it's going to be conceptually. And whatever you can write, you're playing down on a paper. But the place becomes what it's supposed to be as it's happening. So, you know, like specifically, like Dinette right now, you know, there's not a ton of workers back downtown. So we're captivating the summer crowd, the the farmer's market crowd and we're going after a certain crowd. When it's there, we are aggressively taking it, you know? And Moochie's has a little different angle, you know? We We have a patio, you know? And so we're in the summer promoting that and kind of always kind of moving with the seasons. And then the frozen food thing really has become my core. Yes, I'm still at the restaurants. I still serve and things. But, you know, for me to have... Something that could be a bigger business kind of based on the things that I love. That was kind of a development that I was hoping would happen and it takes some time. You know, I've had a frozen food company for five or six years now, and now we have entrees and I, I'm getting my my feet wet, you know, like it's a hard business, but it's a new skill and I'm applying a lot of the what I know into a into a new career for myself. So, you know, finding that diversity keeps me buoyant it gives me another lily pad to hop onto, and so i I got a bunch of ideas i'm just trying to figure out the relationship between say time and investment and return a little differently than i did before and so you know that's been affecting kind of like my trajectory and i have a trajectory which is cool the podcast was born out of the need to kind of call attention to the restaurant. I use it as a marketing platform and I have numerous friends within the industry, right? That uh, I have reached out and they've all said yes. So I did a couple podcasts and I'm like, huh, this is interesting. What I realized was, is that the result ended up being more than me needing to call attention to myself. Thank heavens though. It did, you know, like, like I say, you know, people say now, Tim, your podcast is great. Etc. You know, they don't actually even say anything about my restaurants first anymore. They talk to me about my podcast. It's because it's actually opened up a connection from the inside of the business. You know, you can see a TV show that maybe represents uh, the industry or whatever, and really like it. And you know, the reality is X versus what the TV show shows, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of pull the curtain open on the podcast a little bit, talk about the people inside the business, what their desires are, what they're feeling, the challenges and the reality of it all. And so now the podcast is I get to call a little bit of attention to myself and people see that I'm, I'm in the community. I'm talking to relevant, popular chefs and that I'm in the mix, right? That's really helpful for my business. It just is being out there. Yeah. But also the message becomes something more than I could have ever imagined, that it could be, you know, like just kind of understanding a person better, a controversial chef better. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why they react like this. Okay. Or, yeah. or they see this other chef and they're like, holy crap, they are so talented beyond what I knew. And their story, how they arrived is really what explains how good they are at what they do. And so these paths that I'm walking with these people, it's been a real eye-opener to me. It fills my heart up. So this is a way for me to be creative without spending a million dollars opening a restaurant. It sounds like to
0: me that this starts in your hometown and connecting with all these other people in that industry and hearing their path to... Success or, Mm. I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes failure. But either way, it drives them to being who they are today and to understand that, to then go, oh, I get this. Now I know why they cook the way they do. Now I know why they handle themselves the way they do. I think, too, what you're saying is that these people themselves, they might not have
1: a place to tell their story. And you're giving them that opportunity also. Yes. Yes they're my friends, you know, and, and more so now than before. I talk about, uh, how in our industry, like, or in any industry, think about a person, right? You wake up with a full cake. You have a full cake when you wake up in the morning, you get to work and you give a piece of cake to this person, Mm -hmm. you give a piece of cake to this person, you give a piece of cake to this person. And at the end of the day, do you have any cake left? You know, and there's really got to be some cake left at the end of the day. I think it's vital. So we try to, position my life like that and i try to help others position their lives like that and you know it's uh been good stuff really really cool back to just having a multiple uh
0: streams of income do you suggest that's something a lot of people should be looking at and thinking about having their own lily pads to jump back and forth
1: on because as you mentioned there's it can be tough times in a restaurant yeah I, you know, and like it, it takes all kinds, right? You know, you just have to figure out what your path is. For me, the lily pad idea has been, you know, it's it's not really a sense of security if you're lump- you're leaping from one lily pad to the next. It's just about options. And that you find the lily pads become options and that, you know, you can grow those lily pads yourself, right? You know, you can put another lily pad out there for yourself if you're really wanting to. So it's just, for me, it's been a way to, kind of have some stability within an industry that's not stable is to to continue to have something else out there for yourself in case and, you know, everybody's talk about diversified investments. Well, you know, there's a little bit of that too. You know, the way that I structured these businesses, they're all separate entities. So I have different business partners in all of them. And so it's a diverse group of people that, you know, like you might think that gets confusing or diluted. And, and in a way it does, but it's also how we structure everything around people. And um, it's worked so far in the sense that, you know, there's been times where we've closed restaurants and... And they're unmitigated failures from a financial standpoint. But we've also learned our lessons that we're always able to provide an excellent product. We're always able to understand the concept and execute on it. It doesn't mean, though, from a business sense that it ends up working. And, you know, we get immediate feedback in our industry, too. And so we're the ones that are kind of like, okay, I don't like this. I'm never coming back kind of scenario. It's a really hard place to be. But, you know, as an industry, we've really stepped up our game. And, you know, it's really nice to feel competitive spirit out there again and people opening new places. You know, it's a good trend. I think we're headed generally in the right way, Chef, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: It sounds like you've got your finger on it and you've gone through lots of different things. Like you said, you've closed businesses yourself. And that's not what your original plan was when you open them, I'm sure. But, you know, you got to sometimes things happen and the idea maybe didn't work in that neighborhood or who knows, maybe the uh, owner of the building decided to quadruple your rent and you just had to shut it down and get out. Those things happen. But having those other ideas and not being down on the industry is huge, right? So having a love and a passion for it is great. So back to the frozen food company real quick. Sure. So it sounds like you mentioned before a few minutes ago that it was like five or six years ago. So that was pre-COVID? You started that Just, company? yes. Just pre Because okay. I know I've, I've talked to lots of chefs that, you know, started selling meals to take home during COVID. I mean, everybody had to start to really try different things. Whether I'm selling you meat that isn't even cooked and you can, you know, take marinated steaks and cook them yourself to full meals, whether hot, cold, whatever. But it, being that you started prior to COVID, did you learn more or or change the idea when covid came around like did you say oh i really need to go all in on this or i need to think about doing things a little different
1: you know i think i've chosen the most difficult career <laughs> one of them one of them imaginable and then i doubled down in the frozen pizza mecca of the midwest i decided <laughs> To make a frozen pizza and sit in the frozen pizza aisle with a hundred other pizzas that are really good and bad, right? So, (laughs) like, I thought I could be the difference maker. We have uh, Montanara as our crust. It's a fried dough crust. So that's our point of difference. Our pizza, I've literally, chef, hand-fried Every one of these crusts for the last five years myself at the restaurant. And our co-packer comes and picks them up and they make these pizzas in a facility. So at the beginning of COVID, I was just behind. Two years before COVID, I was like trying to figure this all out. I was in one store and then I was in 20. And I was like, oh my gosh, how do I keep up? And then I was in 50. And then we got behind on some things, you know. Mm -hmm. So then... We stabilized operations. It took about a year and a half. We stabilized operations and pretty much right after their COVID happened. So, you know, we were shut down to the public for so long that, end uh, that, on a Monday and Tuesday that I had free availability in the, in my kitchen to fry these crusts. So um, we saw a big rise in frozen food sales yeah. and our store, um, uh, we had grown uh, slowly into being in about 60 stores, and so now, um, after filling those stores, we're now kind of just refilling them. And COVID brought uh, it was a it was a great filler. It was a a great thing for the gap uh, that you know, between PPP and the actual takeout business that we were doing that that was really great, we got through all of it. And I was able to kind of support and build a little bit. And it was during COVID that I said, hey, you know, I might need to transition. After we get through this survival mindset, I could see it out there for myself and I wasn't ready, but I could see that I needed to do more. So after the first year of COVID, I developed a frozen lasagna, an entree right? Mm-hmm. Pizza sales are fine. It's so competitive and busy. But I had to understand where my difference could be. And I, and we we were selling frozen lasagnas from the restaurant, handmade from the restaurant, and people would buy them. Like hundreds, hundreds, you know, it was a very popular item. And I'm like, this is it. We're going to make the transition. We're going to do entrees. And so now I make like a 34 ounce, you know, lasagna. So it's, you know, two feeds two to four. And it's just a little bit more, and, and, and I knew how to get margin out of this one where I couldn't get it out of the pizza. And I knew that I had less competition on the shelf and certainly mm-hmm. nobody at the level of quality that I was trying to achieve. So I really, you know, uh, COVID did push me in a, in a direction, you know, the pizzas got me in the door. And my restaurant career helped with that. People knew me. And so that was really kind of like greased the skids for me. And then, you know, kind of innovating in, you know, COVID, while it was very difficult, the only thing you could do, you, you innovated or you were going to go away. You yep. had to innovate and had to like press on that idea of constant change and give challenges to people in a time where they might not have had, you know, something to engage in and for me i engaged in oh my gosh so we got frozen lasagna done and then after covid we developed a vegetable lasagna a baked penne with meatballs and a and a meatball side and now i have a line of entrees based on some of this innovation You know, and aggravation that happened during, you know, COVID. So it did fill me with the spirit to kind of keep moving this. We have a chicken parm on the way. I'm trying to decide whether we should do gelato or if I should stick here for a minute. I got to go out to the East Coast and and try to sell my lasagna to my brethren out there, you know. Sure. uh, On the East Coast, because that's kind of where the story was born for me, and I want to kind of go back there. So... That's cool. You know, that's where I'm at, man, and and it's been like I say, a really cool ride, and I'm happy because I I can be energetic about the things that I'm gonna do. And what a great story!
0: Thanks. I gotta try your pizza one of these days. Please do. Definitely need to do that. And you're right. I mean, up in Minnesota, there's a lot of different frozen pizza brands. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. But hey, you know, everybody's got their own choice. I'm a firm believer that even uh, horrible pizza is still better than no pizza at all, to be honest. absolutely <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> oh, wow. I need to spend some more time with you because you're energizing me. I think your outlook and your positivity and your passion is infectious. And I'm sure all those people that work for you, have, they must feel it. That's got to be, you know, why things are, are positive in your world. But I can't end my podcast without uh, talking a little bit about beef. So um, Sterling Silver Premium Beef is what this is about. So uh, if you're going to go out, cook or order a
1: steak or some cut of beef, what would be your favorite and how would you like that prepared? You know, I have to say that I used to own a steakhouse and beef has been an important part of my life and my livelihood. So uh, maybe non-traditionally... From others, you know, I like myself a good prime cut, but I like a flank steak. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I like meat to have that texture. It's okay to chew on it a little bit. Or something that needs a little technique to get it to a point where it's as delicious as it could possibly be. Sure, Like, I'm a home cook. I'm not a technical chef. You know, I get a flank and I'll bring it home and it'll be in its butcher paper and I'll just take the knuckles in one hand, kind of pound on it a little bit, flip it over, mm. pound on it a little bit, just kind of break it down, you know, and just mishandle it. And I love it. <laughs> and then marinating meat, there's no problem with that. Out east, these marinated steak tips all the time. And it's just like this thing that they all have, you know, like leftover meat, you just marinate it, you put it here and then, you know, people are going to the store to buy them. So, yep. marinating meat and kind of helping it accentuate its fatty flavors or working with those fatty flavors and then just grilling it. I'm not macho and have to eat things medium rare. I really like, especially on a flank, to take it to medium, maybe just a little bit plus, because what you're doing is making the meat more tender by cooking it more. You know, a cut like that with the chew, sometimes you just want to like. To mitigate the chew, just cook it a little bit more. But that's me. There's still pink in the middle, you know. There's still that color, but you know that marination and, and and everything that comes out on the grill and the way that the char works with the you know the oils and the fats. It's just that's that's what I want.
0: Yeah, you're a true beef lover if you don't yeah, mind yeah. the chew, right? Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> tri-tip, all those you know like kind of you know odd cuts, uh, skirts, you know yep. like they take a char real well. And, How oh, and, they do? And, And that's the thing, man. It's meat. Yeah. That is really good.
0: I've actually been playing around with a lot of flank lately, and uh, it's different. Like you said, it takes a little work, but it's okay. And and the results are are well worth it. Everybody loves, like you mentioned, a ribeye, tenderloin, strip loin. They're delicious, and they always will be. And they're indulgent and all, but they are what they are. And there's so much more in that animal. And and to, to learn how to take different cuts, and find the best way to prepare them and put a little love into it with that preparation. Yeah. Put some knuckles into it, as you mentioned. You know, that's, <laughs> that's exactly it right there. Um, but you you can still have great nutrition and wonderful flavor. Hearty. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you're right on, on the cook. I think uh, going pretty much to that medium is going to give you the best texture on a flank. And that's not the case with all cuts, right? Some cuts are going to do better, medium rest. Some cuts are going to do better. Well, we know we have to braise some, right? So (laughs) it's going to be well done if you want to consider that uh, braised terminology. Usually we don't throw that out there (laughs) when we talk about it. But to get that tender, you have to to cook it that far. Beyond, Um, yeah. Well, hey, Tim, this has been an excellent conversation and truly appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. And uh, thank you so much. And for all the listeners out there, you know, if you get a chance to get into the St. Paul area there, you know, it's connected right there to Minneapolis, you need to check out some of uh, Tim's restaurants. I know I will. Again, thank you so much for being on here, and we'll talk
1: to you soon. Thank you, Chef. It's been a great time.
0: And listeners, thank you for joining us on In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to slice into the amazing world of beef. Until then, happy eating. To get the next episode delivered to your inbox, subscribe on our website, sterlingsilvermeats.com. Just sign up for our e-newsletter at the top of the page. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. And be sure to follow at Sterling Premium Meats on Instagram. Until next time, we'll see you in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats.